Once upon a time, a young 17-year-old guitarist from Philadelphia auditioned for a music legend, Stevie Wonder. As the story goes, Stevie hired him on the spot, and the young man toured with him as his main guitarist and featured vocalist for the next seven years, working and writing with him on numerous projects, including Wonder's most ambitious album, Songs in the Key of Life. Since then, Michael Cimbello's musical opportunities have been more than golden. They've been platinum. Who can forget his chart-busting single, Maniac? written and performed for the movie Flashdance that went platinum multiple times. He's worked with huge names, David Sanborn, Stevie Wonder, George Benson, Barbara Streisand, The Temptations, Sergio Mendez, George Duke, The Jackson Five, and Michael Jackson. His upcoming Japan-only release, Bossa Nova Hotel, will fuse Brazilian, bossa, and samba with R&B sounds. Inside Music Cast welcomes a truly global musician, Michael Cimbello. Hey, Michael, thanks for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Welcome, Michael. We're going to go back a little ways right away, and, and you picked up the guitar at the age of nine, and your musical uh, career basically took flight from that point yeah. on. And tell us a little bit about your childhood as, as it pertains to music. I mean, what inspired you to ultimately pick up that mm-hmm. guitar, and, and who were your mentors? Right. Well, you know, it's funny. My older brother, you know, you know it was a, it's a great musician, and he uh, taught me... Um, you know, when I was really young, you know, his guitars were kind of like, you know, sitting there, and they were like, it was kind of like the um, the Holy Grail, you know, and I would just look at them, look at them, and then he went in, uh, into the Army around when I was about nine, he's about nine years older than me, and uh, he says, I want you to take care of my guitars, and here's a chord book, uh-huh. and I'll be back, you know, and, you know, see what you can learn. So he came back six months later, I had memorized the entire chord book, and, <laughs> and uh, he just went, he says, holy shit, I've got to find you like a teacher. And he, he's, he was a great teacher to me. He was mm-hmm. my first, and then um, that's my brother, John. Oh, John, okay. And then um, uh, one of my favorite guitar players, you know, was uh, Pat Martino. Who's, uh-huh. I just did a documentary for him called Unstrung. Really? He, yeah, he had a brain aneurysm and forgot how to play for like about a year or two. Holy cow. And I mean, this guy is the, is the guy, he's like the master that everybody, you know, I was so lucky to be able to study with him when I was about like 13 or 14. Oh. And um, he, uh, just a quick note, he you know, had the brain aneurysm and right. he came back like, if you either come back from that, you know, like the rain man, a genius, or, he, mm-hmm. or you don't come back at all. And he uh, came back and won a Grammy and yeah. he did this uh, documentary called Unstrung, um, the BBC, wow. talking about, you know, how the brain works and whatever, and everybody came out to do interviews. Santana, Pete Townsend, yeah. Les Paul, you know, they all came out, and, you know, they're all, you know, he's like sort of the uh, the sensei, you know, he's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So he, you know, I went to him and also his teacher, uh, Pat, um, Dennis Sandoli. So I had, I was really lucky to have that, you know, sort of apprenticeship kind of, uh, you know, learning instead of going to a school, you know. Mm-hmm. How long did you study with Pat? Gosh, it must have been at least... Uh, about probably close to two or three years, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, and then and, I, and there was also another great teacher. I had Chuck Anderson, right, right, also a, a student of Sandoli was sort of the teacher to a lot of great jazz players. Like he taught like Coltrane and George Benson, and wow. um, you know, he he really was just an incredible teacher. Yeah. And um, uh, Chuck Anderson was his student, and so was Pat. So I sort mm-hmm. of went through the line. It's kind of like you know. 
uh, you know, the master will show up when the student's ready kind of thing. <laughs> so you, you sort of had to go through this, you know, this yeah. gauntlet of teachers to get to the great Sandoli, like the Wizard of Oz, you know. Right, right. right. Sure. Well, you know, uh, you mentioned Chuck Anderson, and he was uh, a, kind of a, a, a jazz influence. And I think, I think, based on what I know about you, you were infused with sort of a strong jazz background. And uh, you know, give us an idea of what kinds of, of music and artists you were listening to, and that influenced you when you were growing up. You know, I was so lucky. Philadelphia is a real jazz kind of town, and you know, like Chuck was really my first, you know, formal uh, teacher, and he just really just you know pounded me with everything from you know. Brazilian music. I mean, I was playing a girl from Ipanema before I even knew. Mm-hmm. And right now, it's so funny. I'm working with <laughs> the grandson of you know Daniel Jobim. Right, right. We've, we've been working for like you know about about ten ten years uh, on different things. And you know, I you know I'm, I'm, I didn't even know what I was playing. You know, I didn't what kind of music it was. And he would just throw things at me, and it was kind of like wax on, wax off. <laughs> you know, and you know he and he said play this in you know twenty four different positions, and you know I have carpal tunnel. <laughs> you know, and to thank him and Pat Martino, you know. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, I was just lucky to have that kind of a, you know, background. But I, I, everything from the Beatles, I was playing in, um, in like jazz bands in um, high school and also doing like, uh, you know, casuals and bar mitzvahs, you know, which was really funny because, you know, I, I was like the young, everybody was like 50 in the band, you know, and I had the tuxedo on. So I'd go play these weddings and things <laughs> on the weekend and I was in a rock band, so I had to play everything from the Beatles to, you know, muddy water so it was it was great i had to just you know i didn't look at anything i don't see style or you know or any of that kind of stuff i just look at everything as it's either good music or bad music right. you know and that's how i grew up so there was no prejudice in or you know one-sidedness mm-hmm. and you just mentioned something at the beginning of uh, answering that question you said that uh philadelphia is a great jazz town and, and you know traditionally people know philadelphia is sort of its own has its own sort of uh flavor of soul you know, exactly. uh, but uh, but but explain a little bit about Philadelphia being a jazz town. I mean, wh- um, what did you see in Philadelphia at the time that made it a jazz town? Well, the thing I, it might have been just my kind of myopic view of it, but I mean, there's some of the greatest guitar players that you, you, you probably would never know came out of there, and not just guitar players, but musicians. Mm-hmm. I don't. I guess it might be the, the climate, because, you know, when it's cold and it snows a lot, you know, I, I have this theory that the further north you go, probably the better the musicians are, because, you know, <laughs> you can't go surfing, you know? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> you know, I don't know, it's just one of those theories, but uh, um, it just, you know, it was just the R&B thing. Uh, I don't know exactly when it started, way before my time, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I'm feeling, you know, as people call me old school now, it's like, you know, I still think I'm in my 20s, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, mark, I'm marking the Mayan calendar. I'm, you know, I'm going, you know. <laughs> I mean, no. I don't, I, mean, I don't have a birthday, you know. 2012, either the world's going to end or right. aliens are coming back. For I was just going to mention that. <laughs> no, no, you're right about the Philadelphia sound. I mean, I mean, you talked about some people that came out of there. I mean, just, I mean, the stylistic spinners, Delphonics, you know. I mean, even John Coltrane was Jimmy exactly. Smith. I mean, Grover Washington, wasn't he a Philly guy? Yeah, Grover, he was, Grover Washington, know. Stan Getz. I mean, it's it's thick with all that. It uh, is. It, it's, I mean, even Hollow Notes, I think those guys were, were out of there. And, and uh, you, you're oh, right. Definitely. Yeah, you know what's weird? It's kind of embarrassing because, you know, I left so young. And, you know, I was in the you know the, the you know music world at such a young age that I you know I didn't I have to go back and you know check on the history of shit. My my nephew is like you know he's like an astute student. Of, he knows everything about everything musical. You know, and mm-hmm. he. 
like he says, Uncle Michael, you remember this thing? And then, you know, when you were, because uh, Miles Davis opened up for Stevie Wonder the first um, week I was playing with him. Oh, yeah. and, he, and he starts talking about these albums and stuff. I'm going, you know, Colin, I, I, you know, I was there, but, you know, I didn't really pay attention. <laughs> you know, because he knows the dates of things. And you remember this album? And they re-released it and they remastered it. And I go, you know, I don't even think I had the record. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just mentioned Stevie Wonder, and, and this sparks an interesting story, that the fact that you were only about a week away from graduating high school. School. Yeah. When you auditioned for Stevie Wonder, you got the gig on the spot, and then you hit the road with him. And you know, first of all, how did how did you even learn about this audition, and, and were you invited? And if so, how did you get this invitation? It's one of those things where you know, uh, you know, I, I I believe there are no coincidences in life. And even though it's not the exact path I wanted to take, because you know, Pat Martino was my idol, and I just wanted to, you know, you know die a heroin addict in, a, in an alleyway playing jazz, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> with a, with <laughs> a blue uh, spot on you. A little too far out there. Uh, actually, I wanted, you know, that's what I was doing. And a friend of mine called me like on a Sunday and he said, hey man, Stevie Wonder is like, you know, he's like auditioning and he's looking for a new band, right? Now, now this is going to sound weird. I knew who Stevie Wonder was, but I thought it was like little Stevie Wonder. That, you know, everybody say yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know I'm going like, you mean, is he, I said, isn't he the guy that did the finger? But I didn't even know the name of the song. And, and he goes, yeah, but he's like all grown up now and he's put a record out. I didn't, I've never heard Superstition was out. I didn't hear any of that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I was completely blind to his music. I just knew, you know, that he was little Stevie Wonder. So I'm walking in there, you know, he goes, come on, let's go. And I, I didn't want to go. And he had to actually convince me my friend, and uh, I went there, and there was a, like a, a line of like, you know, hundreds of musicians signing lists, you know, to get in, and somehow, wow, at that point, I said, I'm going home, you know, that's just ridiculous, <laughs> and he says, I'll get us in, so he did something to get us in, and it was like, you know, like six guitar players at a time, and two drummers, and everybody had a number, it was like a game show, you know, <laughs> and it went through a process of elimination, and, you know, uh, here I am walking in with my big fat, like you know, Epiphone Broadway jazz guitar with no handle on the uh, <laughs> on the thing. Walking in and you know, wearing overalls, look, with, with long hair and a beard, looking like Jethro Jesus, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, with, with sandals on, you know. <laughs> oh, there's good there's good news in all those. He couldn't see you. That's right. Exactly. Right. This, is what, this is the exact thing about That's you know, this, which I learned later, the perception of a blind person can really perceive into the soul of somebody because they're not tainted by anything. You exactly. Know? Exactly. So anyway, so, you know, here we are, and, and you know, he's, these guys all have Stevie Wonder songbooks and everything, and, and one guy goes, what song are we going to play, Steve? And Steve was, you know, doing his gyroscope radar head, as I call it. He, yeah. His head stops, <laughs> and he goes, ah, just follow me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and he starts playing, like, stuff like Giant Steps and Oleo, and all these songs yeah. I'm studying, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> he goes through all these, like, and I'm going, well, who's this guy, man? You know, I thought he was, everybody say yeah. I'm going, when are we going to, you know, and he says, guitar player number one, solo guitar player. And so, basically, you know, that's what I did. So, I was very unaware that, you know, uh, there's blindisms, like Ray Charles rocks forward, Stevie uh-huh. kind of goes to the side and uh-huh. with his head wobble thing. And what happens is, you know, occasionally... When he had, you know, back then he was, you know, if he was having a good time, but he had, a, he had a couple glasses of wine, I think, that day, you know, and he, he was like, he gets really into it, you know, he just really, when he likes something, it's like it makes you so excited because he just starts to smile and grin, and he kind of got lost, you know, I started to play a solo thing, and he just got really while and he fell off the stool, right? So I stopped playing, right? And the, and, and the manager said, no, no, keep playing. I said, was well, he all right? Cause, you know, he goes, yeah, that means he likes you. He, you know, he must have really he must have did something. 
That's so, great. So anyway, so to make a long true. story short, um, I'll go, it's you know it's the seventies, you know, and we're still coming out of the sixties. And back then, it was like one white guy per you know uh, black band. Exactly. So if you go to the Apollo and you got more than one white guy, even one white guy, you got to get behind the cage. They start throwing stuff and yelling, <laughs> which, which actually happened to me. I, you know, and I'll tell you that story later. But it, he, he, they bring me over, and he goes. They go, um, they're, they're arguing in the corner. The publicist later told me about what happened. And he says, Mike, he goes, we're trying to convince Steve you can't hire another white guy. You already got a white trumpet player. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, you know, he was just adamant. So I walked over, and I said, this is one of those things where you say the right thing. Right. You don't have any idea. He goes, he goes, so, man, you know, I really like the way you play. And, uh, you know, uh, um, he goes, what sign are you? Now, I didn't. I was into metaphysics, but not into astrology. I was so young. <laughs> and later on, I, I, you know, got into, you know, I studied Kriya Yoga and, yoga and all that stuff. And he, I go, uh, I'm Italian. <laughs> he goes, he goes, no, man, what's that? And he goes, he looked over to the guy, you know, he, he kind of grins. He goes, see, he ain't white, he's Italian. <laughs> that's great. You're that's awesome. <laughs> he ain't white, so, he's Italian. That's kind of like... That would happen, you know. And it's, you know, my, oh, friend, my friend Richie DiLorenzo, a great bass player, you know. The weird thing is he wanted to gig, and I got the gig, and he didn't. So I really have to apologize to him on the air. <laughs> that's good. That's so funny. My God. <laughs> so do you remember what you performed? I mean, were you just jamming along with him? Just follow me? Jam, or what was it, you know? Because you know? he, he had written, you know, like, you know, the um, Inner Visions talking book, you know, and yeah. he had, you know, he had like, superstition out, and, and he's when he was really getting into the more complex career progressions and stuff. And so he was going through stuff, you know, that I knew. Old, I mean, the guy's like a, a walking, living library of everything. I mean, he just absorbs. I've worked with other blind uh, musicians that have that, you know, same ability to, you know, just to pull from the, the universe, and that's what really inspired me to learn how to connect to that. Akashic Record Living Library, and uh, he, you know, he just played all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. That's I mean, interesting. I was so lucky to have that opportunity. Well, you know, from your perspective, what was it that you think uh, impressed Stevie about your audition? What What was it that made him want Michael Cimbello and his band? Well, that's an interesting thing. That this this fast forward fast forwards me to when I when I quit. Um, there's a thing if you I'll send it to you. I don't know if you get the bridge video. They took it off of YouTube. It's he hosted this thing called the, uh, the Bridge, which is me and Daniel Jobim, you know, singing in different languages, raising money for kids, mm -hmm. and um, putting people together from other countries. And, uh, it, you know, shooting ahead when I, when I would quit, I said, man, what? You know, it, it was very emotional because it's a big family. You know, we were, we were both, like, crying. And he, go, he goes, why are you quitting? I goes, man, you know, I got to go, you know, get out there and start doing, you know, what, you know, my thing. And, man, you know, it's just I'm always here for you, you know. And... I said, let me ask you a question. Why did you hire me? <laughs> I didn't know any of your songs, you know, because <laughs> you know he didn't. There's no charts, right? You know, I got I go up two days. Oh, I forgot to tell you, he, I'm talking. You know, I got these gigs coming up, right? Making like hundred bucks for a wedding. You know, I, I go. They go. When can you come to New York? I go. Well, I got this gig this weekend. Can I come after the weekend? And they all start laughing. Right? I said, Can I? You know, let me call you. And, and I go home and I start tell my. I said, Who's this guy, Stevie Wonder? Does it pay pretty good? He goes, What are you crazy? You better take that gig. <laughs> so I was going to do the wedding first and then go up. You know. <laughs> you know I was like Steve Martin and the jerk, and I just didn't know what the where didn't the hell know what I was to do, at. Right? <laughs> anyway, so um. So he goes, I said, what did you, you know, he goes, man, he goes, you have the thing, the, the thing. And I said, I said, well, what's that? He goes, well, it's, it's soul. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it, it transcends, you know, 
race color creed boundaries, you know, and that, you know, he says you have this thing, you know, and because I was a real pain in the ass in the beginning, because you know I, I wanted to be in, you know, playing with Miles Davis, you know, these guys, and they're opening up, you know. So I'm thinking I'm kind of depressed for the first couple months, you know, and you know I don't know who I'm with. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't seen, what, you know, he was capable of or whatever. So I was really truly coming in the raw, and you know he handed me, you know, these. Cassettes, you know, of all his stuff, and and he, I said, well, "What songs are we going to do?" He goes, "Just learn them all." I don't know what I'm going to do because every, every night was like spontaneous, you know. Right, right, right. So, you know, he just said to me, he "says Man, you you have this thing, you know." And and then I realized that um, you know, everybody he hired back then, you know, like Dave Sanborn was in the group, Buzzy Feed, another great sure. guitar, Ray Parker Jr., Ollie Brown. Wow. You know, Denise Williams, he hired, he just had this way to just hone in, you know, on people's, you yeah. know, energy. Yeah. Hey, Michael, I remember the first time that I ran across your name on, on liner notes, and, and it happened to be on Songs in the Key of Life, which was, she was one of the most significant albums in music, you know? Yeah. And uh, you played guitar on that album, and uh, which opens a, a, a interesting discussion, you know, be, because actually, you know, before that album, you know, as the story goes, Stevie was actually ready to quit the business, you know, yeah. and uh, and he took a hiatus because you know he was going to leave the music business, as the story goes, and and uh, but he came back and he started working on this album, and which was, uh, of course, songs in the key of life, and it was recorded in L.A. and in New York. As a player on this album, uh, tell us a little bit about this recording. I mean, because it was it was landmark, and he took an awful lot of time to prepare for this you know what I mean yeah, it's, yeah. It, it was like really um, an amazing experience for me because when you're like I said when you're in it you don't know you know what you know what, what's going on and even after it's successful whatever you don't ever really you know look back on things you know until you're reminded you know years and years mm -hmm. later um, it was just you know he was at the peak of his creativity and the group you know, people that were together were really supportive, you know, which he doesn't, I don't think, really has now because, you know, he has to, you know, hire people last minute sometimes. But uh, we had, like, a this great family energy all together, and um, he was just really channeling something at that time. And uh, it, it was an incredible opportunity for me. I, we, I also wrote uh, a couple songs on, on the record, sure. Saturn, and this uh, song called Contusion, which was about his accident um, mm -hmm. that he had yeah. and his attempt to you know, do a kind of a, a return to forever Chickorea thing. We were all really influenced <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh, at that time by all the, all the fusion stuff. So, you know, it was just amazing. I mean, he just would just get up, I mean, and just write, write, and write, and write. There's so mm. many songs in the can. I mean, when he when he passes on, you know, how they keep releasing stuff from yeah. or whatever, it, they're gonna, it's going to be 100 years before they go through all his stuff. I mean, he's done everything <laughs> from classical yeah. stuff. I mean, I've played on bebop stuff with Ray Brown and yeah. trio stuff. It's just incredible what he's, what he's got. And, yeah. uh, you know, he was fighting the, you know, the, the big dragon, you know, record sure. company. Because, right. you, know, you know, people don't realize this, but you know, these record companies, which now Rome is falling because they, you know, everybody hired their cousin, mm -hmm, you know, they right, had right. the same hair as the artist, like Frank Zappa says, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they looked good, you know, <laughs> they, they sure. didn't have any, you know, kind of, a, you know, real people with ears, and, you know, they just put him through, you know, hell, you know, just that we don't like this and then like that, you know, so, he, you know, he's been getting depressed for years, like, you know, people don't realize that there's other people, it's like, you know, back in the of Mozart. I mean, you know, the, the, the king was the, and the queen, they were the record company, you were the court, yeah, right. so you were the artist. So, sure. mm -hmm. you know, he really went through a hard time, you know, and really didn't want to, you know, do it, but then he just got this flash and just, they, you know, then finally somebody believed in him, you know, and said, okay, this is really a stretch, 
but we're going to go for it. So, right. you know, it was one of those things, I think you can't stop an idea that time has come, you know. You're right. Well, he definitely, if, you know, if, if anyone hasn't heard Song is the Key of Life in its entirety, because I think it's, it's, a, it's a really a body of work that you have to listen to, you know what I mean? Um, definitely. Al- although there were songs like Sir Duke and Isn't She Lovely that were big hits on this two-record album, you know, you have to look at it in its entirety, because he says some really stiff stuff about the, you know, about the system, you know what I mean? Yes. And, uh, exactly. and, and how it was, you know, he was always having to strive to be counter-current just to survive, you know? Exactly. So he was, it was a big statement, and uh, he made it loud and clear. I mean, I just listened to the whole thing uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, man, this is a powerful piece of music, you know? Um, my qu- a, you said it perfectly, counter-current. Yeah. Because, um, you know, he, you know I mean, he has so much music inside of him, you know? But the funny thing is, we did it, I'll have to send it to you guys, uh, 25 years after. Mm-hmm. The BBC did, you know, they did, like, the Beatles, they did Led Zeppelin, and they, they get together with, you know, the, the remaining musicians, and right. they have them perform some of the, the record, like, live in the studio. <laughs> and he, you know, Steve never, like, really fills you in on what's going on. He goes, hey, come down to the studio. They're going to film some stuff, you know. Yeah. We, you know, so we just show up, you know. He goes, uh, bring your guitars. We're just going <laughs> we're just going to pose, get there. And they go, he goes, okay, we're going to do Sir Duke. Uh, this and that. I said, well, what are they doing? Well, it's just for the BBC. It's called 25 Years After. And we're all looking at each other. Oh, shit. So we're all running <laughs> in the bathroom to practice our parts, you know, trying to remember them. <laughs> you know, but it just shows you how muscle memory takes over. And, we, you know, we ran the stuff down once. And I'm looking at Ben Bridges, the other guitar player. I said, did you play the boom, part? Or, you know, or did I play this? And next thing you know, he counts it off and it just comes off flawlessly. It's one of those things that, you know, really... You're, when you're in it, it's just like another force takes you over. His force <laughs> is just incredible, you know. Yeah, you know, you played on that album with uh, a, a past guest of ours, Greg Flingaines. Oh, yeah, and Greg, uh, yeah. and uh, you know, he was uh, probably a young guy just breaking in and whatever, because uh, you know that was his his connection too. Stevie starting up, you know, and uh, so can you tell us a little bit about working with Greg back oh, then? Oh, working with Greg. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you, well, Greg's another um, like amazing uh, musician. I mean, yeah. he. Uh, in fact, he just. Um, I, I just wrote with my brother Dan and Michael Linkton on the new Michael Linkton record. Uh, we wrote three songs, and, and um, uh, Greg uh, uh, produced them because uh, I, I don't produce anymore. I, I'm just I just lock myself away in, in my beach uh, place here and just write because uh, I'm not into like sitting there anymore and, and right. doing that. But and Greg is just incredible, and the way he and I know in his hands the interpretation is like perfect and. Uh, yeah, so he he did the, the last time I saw him was uh, about a, I guess about six months a year ago, and he's just probably he freaked Steve out to the point. I mean, he was we both joined. We were like about eighteen, seventeen, eighteen. Yeah, and it was so funny because he walks in, and um, I think a Herbie Hancock record had just come out okay. about a week before, and Greg, of course, like has a photographic memory, just memorized like a lot of the record. And Herbie came in. And we, I think we might have been working on songs in the key of life, and. You know, Herbie. Here comes Herbie walking in, and Greg. You know, you know, we we were both were like these little peanut head little, little guys, you know. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, you know, he starts playing this stuff, and Herbie goes, "How do you know that?" And Herbie probably didn't even know his record was out. He goes, "Oh, I listened to your record," and he just like floored, you know, him and Steve. And it was so funny when it came down to you know doing the record. You know, that's Greg playing on contusion, and I mean, he's just like unbelievable. He's just an incredible. I mean, he worked with Michael Jackson. And, oh yeah. Incredible! That famous uh, uh, "Shake Your Body Down to the Ground." Uh, mm-hmm. That's him playing the piano. There's just the feel that he has. It's just sure. you know amazing. Yeah. Well, after I guess you were, uh, left Stevie's band, uh, you, that's when you launched into your solo career, and, and uh, 
Uh, you released your first album back, and I think it was in '83. It was called Bossa Nova Hotel. Uh, yeah, Bossa Nova Hotel album. Yeah. Which, of course, that included you know the Grammy-winning uh, hit "Maniac," and you've probably been asked this a million times. But if anyone thinks back to that track, they recall how big that hit was in, right. in the Flashdance soundtrack. It, it's I think it's gone what platinum six times. I, I think it's somewhere around. It might be eight or ten now. Oh my gosh! Like, I mean, it might even be more than that. I, I got the last platinum record I got. I think it was around eight or ten. They said <laughs> it's just it's one of those things like White Christmas. There's like three songs or something that. You know, White Christmas, Rock Around the Clock, and something else that keeps, like, never, just never stops selling. Well, the, th- the three soundtracks that never, that just keep selling are, um, uh, I think, probably Saturday Night Fever and uh, Flashdance, wow. and, and one other one in the top three. So, um, it's just one of those, it's the gift that keeps on giving, as I said, you know. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, that, and I think, if I read this correctly, this, the song Maniac was, is one of the, uh, I think it's the third all-time best-selling soundtrack singles. Exactly. This is the third. You said it better than me. It's the third, uh, best all-time soundtrack uh, yeah. selling single. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. That's yeah. incredible. Well, you, you know, um, you didn't actually write Maniac for the for the movie Flashdance. Is that right? I mean, with with that said, I, I think I've read that it was actually disqualified from the Academy Award yeah, nomination. Yeah, it was disqualified because you know I, I should have never said that. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was nominated, and I sat there. Watching back then, they didn't allow the artist to perform. Yeah. But I had to sit there watching. I think it was uh, some Barry Boswick or some da- I don't know who the dancer that came out. They you know with the exotical dancers like jumping through the air like you know Barishnikov <laughs> trying to sing 152 beats per minute. You know, um, you know, and just fall all over the place as, as the people in the audience that knew me turned around and started laughing at me. You know, <laughs> saying, "Look what's happening to your song." You know, so it was disqualified because it really. Phil Ramone is responsible for getting that in the movie because yeah. it was one of those things where it was at the end of the tape uh, and it was something I was working on with Danny McCuskey who I, I co-wrote the song with and yeah. it was just it just was there we were just messing around one day in the jacuzzi and, and Danny said you know we were saying well we're ready like something really crazy you know <laughs> um, you know and Danny had this idea he says well, you know he had a tape of a movie called Maniac or something he says just write right. something you know like yeah. you know and I think the original lyrics were uh uh, he's a maniac, maniac, that's for sure. He'll kill your cat and, and nail it to, to the door. door. <laughs> so I said, Dan, I don't think that's really going to work. Not for, not for a dance <laughs> movie. Yeah, we were having fun with it. And then, you know, we sent all these songs to, for the movie. <laughs> this, uh, Phil was, you know, producing it with Georgie Maroder. And he goes, I said, what about the songs? He goes, oh, man, there's this one song at the end. It, uh, it just, it's cut off. It's just maniac, maniac. I go, oh, that's it. We're just goofing around. He goes, I want that. He knew exactly what scene with her you know, jumping up and down with her butt and everything. Yeah. And uh, he just said, he said, this is perfect. He said, make it about, you know, a, you know, a girl with passion, you know, to dance and get rid of the, you know, nail the cat to the door stuff. <laughs> so so basically you went from the kill your cat to the nail to the door. You went to she's dancing like she's never been before or she's never right, danced before. Exactly. Right? It became the anthem for every aerobics class. That's right. <laughs> Jennifer Beals just dancing away. You know, yeah, you know, what, vision, right? you know what vision I have in my mind right now are leg warmers. Leg warmers. Leg warmers and, and cut off uh, sweat <laughs> yeah. uh, shirts. And That's right. Hold on. I'm, pu- I'm taking mine off right now. Hold on. Okay. Okay, thanks. Okay. Back with you. Okay. It was cold in here, okay? I got the best. I think I got five years in a row, most calories burned. I got all these kind of awards, you know. They're really amazing. So there's a category for okay. everything. All right. I, I do have a question on that. Um, which synth did you use for the bass line? What were you using? That was a mini mode. The that old was, mini that was mode the, the classic. They had the really great tuning yeah. thing. And believe it or not, that was probably, you know, the first sequenced 
song. In other words, there was back then. You know, I use Logic now and sure. all. You know, these like advanced uh, sequencers. Uh, mm-hmm. Back then, there was a guy called Doctor Click that had. It looked like the size of a refrigerator, and it only did eight bars at a time. <laughs> and you could you could sequence. So you know, the you know. So it, it we had to fly the stuff in, but it was truly sequenced. And then uh-huh. I overdubbed um, a real uh, Fender bass over top of the Mini Moog and. Then it was just a, it was like one of those like experimental Picasso's yeah, paintbrushes yeah. and monkeys things. We just started hitting buttons, and we put a, a, a side stick through a, a, a distortion unit. We could brr, brr, and then a, yeah. a cowbell yeah. through a digital delay. How cool! And it was just one of those those things that uh, it just happened. You know, it's kind of it's. Alien intervention, I guess. I well, weren't weren't the eighties amazing discovery for electronics? You know, after oh, the after yeah. DX seven came on, and of course everything went MIDI, and you've got these samplers and, or the drum machines, like the Lin drum, you know. That's what and, we use, the Lin drum, exactly. Is that what it was? I'm, and I'm like, oh man, th- that was a sound that. Uh, and heavens no, we need more cowbell. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> totally. She was on in '83 when Flashdance came out, and uh, I mean that was a huge year for you. You know, you yeah, had, you had so well, much. I also had a. So- I had a. I think I was. Uh, that was a year that um, I think the Grammys were in '83, '84, and that was the year Michael had 13 nominations, and then That's I had right. the, the second most, which was six, and then Lionel Richie, and I had one of the nominations was, was for David Sanborn, which is kind of weird. I was in a jazz category and a pop category at the same time, so wow. it was a great year. Was that for? Um it was, I think as we speak is right. Oh, I think that is more. such a beautiful. I think if I'm correct, uh, Marcus Miller did an awful lot of the bass playing on that. Oh yeah, and Marcus. and that is just a classic. As we speak, it has Chicago song on it, right? Yeah. And uh, that is such a, a wonderful one of my favorites. Uh, you've done a lot for a lot of work with uh, with David, right? Yeah, we you know worked on several albums, and uh, you know it's just he's he's another Stevie Wonder alumni. It's just uh, mm-hmm. you just know it's him when he you know he plays. It's just incredible. Right, right. Yeah. Eddie and I have this is going back to one more flash dance question, and, and, sure. and it's and, and this is a personal question between Eddie and we want to know if you ever got to meet Jennifer Beals. You know what? That's so funny. It's like <laughs> it, it, it's amazing. No, <laughs> See, I didn't think so. Think that, you know, it, I didn't think you know, so. Party all the time. You know, you know goes to the set and you know everybody's having affairs with everybody you know I never <laughs> met her I didn't meet anybody none of the kids. I met the guy I think George whatever Norie or something the guy yeah. that played our boyfriend yeah. at the, the Grammys yeah. afterwards it was like you know uh, that year it was like um, it was nominated uh, Saturday Night Fever was nominated too I met, I met Frank Stallone back then and we were, we were huh. just all hanging out and then yeah. he he says, hi, I'm the guy from the movie, you know. And I, I always saw the movie like once. And we all, we read the script and it was one of those things, like, this is never going to work. A female welder from Pennsylvania right. wants to become a dancer. When you read the script, you're going. And in fact, I heard that like two or three investors pulled out before the movie came out because it came out and bombed. And then the soundtrack was what brought it back up. You know, so we were all like, you know, putting our, you know, had put our foot in our mouth with it, you know. And we didn't even, at the time of the Grammys, I didn't, really go back to look at the film. I just saw it once, so I didn't know who the actors were. So he right. came up and said, hey, you know, I love your song. I'm the guy. And, you know, so it was really kind of embarrassing. It's like, you know, showing up for your whole life, like, late. <laughs> and meanwhile, all the investors are really ticked off because they, they missed out, yeah. you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they're they all ticked off because they, they pulled their money out. <laughs> exactly. Another great project that I, I it was one of my favorites is uh, when you d- worked with uh, George Benson on his 2020 album. Oh, oh yeah, with that's, George, yeah. Like, and, I just saw, in fact, it was here in Florida he played. I went back to see him. I hadn't seen him in a long time, and uh, 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 I just saw him. And, and Yeah, that was unbelievable. I, what a great honor 
that was because, you know, I, he let me do a couple of guitar solos sure. on, on the record, and yeah. uh, it was just really, for me, that's like just, you know, a dream come true. Well, that was a rather robust project because instead of just, you know, pr- producing or just writing or singing, I mean, you did everything pretty much in the whole thing and set the direction on the whole thing. So uh, he must have been pretty open-minded as to where you, you wanted to take this, right, or not? Yeah, him, him and uh, Russ Teitelman yeah. um, was the other producer on, on the record and everything. And Russ, you know, mm-hmm. Russ is great because, you know, he, you know, me and my brother... Dan, you know, we had our own studios back then, and, you know, that was the point when everybody, we were just doing everything ourselves, and um, so, you know, George, you know, loved the song, and, and uh, you know, basically, you know, we were just sending 24 tracks back and forth, now we can do everything online, and, uh, you know, I didn't even meet him at the time, you know, <laughs> you know, I met him like, like uh, I mean, I, I met him, you know, uh, at the session, you know, but I hadn't, you know, I hadn't always wanted to meet him, and, uh uh, it was just an incredible experience, you know, just really, really an incredible experience. Sure. Well, speaking of George Benson, I think he just uh, he just cut a new single. I, I know that Steve Lukather and David Page were helping produce it, um, and uh, I don't know when that's due out. But uh, right. Luke, Luke was saying that was that's a pretty amazing track that he put together. He's expecting good things from it. So, oh yeah, Steve. Yeah, he's we were. Um, I think he was the one that coined it. Um, back in the day, we were all studio musicians. I think he, we were called. He said, "We're just a bunch of session sausages." I think that's it. We, we, everybody used to parties for pancakes, you know. And, you know, in fact, that's <laughs> funny. And I said, "Yeah, you know, he, I love Luke. He's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's guitar player and, and uh, studio sausages." It, really, he will add the humor to a lot of sessions. Oh yeah, it's just it's crazy <laughs> stuff. But um, yeah, he has great feeling games. Is in Toto now, I think. Yeah, uh-huh. he, well, it was. I, you know, they've. Well, we leave. I haven't. I haven't talked. To him. No, no. They they disbanded about a year ago. Oh, they did. Yeah, yeah. they finally gave it up. And uh, Luke's out doing his own solo thing, and I think the other uh, guys are doing some some of their thing, their own thing too. So it's like weird. I got to keep up with people. <laughs> I'm, getting like, I'm getting like David Samber told me uh, about a couple years ago. Um, I went and sat in with him at the Hard Rock Cafe, and and I said, Dave, you got like an email? He goes, Man, he goes, I got a steam powered fucking computer. I don't even, you know, know how to use. It. <laughs> I said, You got to get with it here, you know. You know? That's funny. Well, this is a timely topic, but uh, tell us a little bit about your connection to Michael Jackson. I mean, you, you wrote you wrote a song called Carousel, yeah, and, and that was what I believe was on the 25th anniversary special edition of Thriller. Is that right? Yes, it was on that, and also I'm finding out, you know, once again, you know, kind of like a late bloomer on this thing because it, it was out 25 years ago in Europe called uh, it was called Circus Girl. Apparently, the second engineer to Bruce Wadeen, uh must have thank God bootlegged it and put it out. And um, it became it became the lost the missing song from Thriller. It was you know I don't know if you went up to listen to the interview with Quincy. It was like right uh, the song that bumped it was uh, Human Nature because right. they oh, wanted yeah. you know the original album was like to be more of off the wall R and B pop you know right. more of an R and B leaning towards R and B R and B pop but you know and then they came up with the Thriller thing which was total pop you know rock so it, it just didn't you know really fit. Uh, but it was on the album, you know, right to the last minute there. So mm-hmm. uh, they went and did the special edition, and um, and it was a surprise to me, you know, that they, uh, they yeah. used it. In fact, if you go to my website, um, uh, especially any Michael Jackson fans, I have a little yep. tribute up there. It's, it has my demo version that he learned it from, right, and right. it has, um, you know, his version, which was edited, you know. But I have a, a, almost a full version. Sure. Uh, once he edited some of the stuff out of it, but uh, the one on the on the special edition is really edit it yeah. but if they want to go up there um, check it out and they can just sign my uh, uh, my mailing list and I'm hopefully I'm going to start uh, putting together uh, my album and I'm going to try to get 
you know, Jermaine and some of the Jacksons and maybe do like a tribute with the song. That's you know? cool. Very neat. Yeah. So uh, if, they, if, they, if they, any Jackson fans want to sign in my mailing list, I'll let them know it's happening. Cool. Hey, Eddie, Michael, since we're on the topic of Michael Jackson and uh, the song Carousel, let's take a quick break and listen to a sample. And this, of course, is the Michael Cimbello version. song Carousel, written for Michael Jackson, from today's guest, Michael Zambello. Well, talking about that connection to Michael Jackson, how, how did uh, Michael uh, learn about uh, that song, Carousel, and how did it end up on this uh, special edition of Thriller? Well, it's, it's like funny. It's, I look back, it's kind of like a magical time in Camelot with Merlin the Magician, you know. It's <laughs> like it's just a time that, you know, where, where magical things just happen. I mean, I lived about a block or two from the Jacksons, uh, in Encino, and, you know, Michael was still living at home at the time, and, you know, my brothers, you know, would go play basketball down in Balboa Park with, with them, and, you know, we were all kind of, you know, friends, and, you know, of course, I, they didn't have me play, because I was, I was like the Jerry Lewis of my family, and all my brothers are sports jocks, you know, <laughs> I just jog around the park, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, so, you know, we were just, you know, all really close, and then, you know, Michael, uh, Stevie had produced some stuff on Michael, that's when I met him when he was really young, yeah. and I don't know whatever happened with that stuff, but, um, uh, you know, we were just, you know, kind of, you know, I, I was working for for Quincy, uh, doing Donna Summer stuff, and, and he said, hey, you got anything for Michael? And I said, sure. And then Quincy said, hey, there's this, uh, 
this uh, black cowboy, Deadwood Dick, he was left out of the history books, you know, because he was like the fastest gun, but he was black, you know, and, and then they shot him in the back. He goes, I always want to, you know, I love that story. And he said, I think he could write a song, you know, about Deadwood Dick. So on my Bossa Nova Hotel record, there's a song called The Cowboy from the Good, from the Good Side. And it okay. talks about that. And that was the song I wrote, you know, for Michael, because he says, I want to get some interesting stories. You know, this is before they put the whole thriller concept together. So I wrote the song, and um, actually late, it was late. I handed in Carousel, which I wrote with Don Freeman. Uh, and he, you know, Quincy says, you know, I really like the Deadwood Dick thing, but we're, you know, we're already, you know, we got Carousel, and they already cut like 60 songs or something. So Carousel sort of bumped that, and uh, and that's basically, you know, it was one of those things where Quincy was, you know, he's a very creative guy, and, you know, they were just looking for that idea, you know. They needed yeah. to do something really beyond off the wall. And then yeah. and Rod Temperton, who's amazing, you know, just, you know, they got together, him and Michael, and just came up with the most amazing record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeez. You know, Michael Jackson, he, he was so many things to so many people, a singer, a songwriter, you know, of course, an amazing dancer and performer, and yeah. really a perfectionist in every sense of the word when it came to his craft. But, um, you know, there was the whole tabloid side, but we're not even going to talk about that. We're, we just right. like to talk about music. <laughs> um, well, ha- yeah. Having had a, a connection to him, we'd love to know your thoughts about who Michael Jackson was to you and how and if he mm-hmm. inspired you. Yeah. You know, it's when you when you get to know somebody before. Um, uh, well, I mean, he was always famous, but you know, I, I wasn't. You know, I was more impressed with Miles Davis and the Beatles, and you know, in other words, people that I didn't really meet at the time. When you when you grow up, kind of with somebody, and you meet them. You know, that's that term. Before all the stress hits them, you see, you know, a different part of their soul. And I saw a, a person that had, if left alone. He could have been like a Mozart. Uh, in fact, when I did the Destiny record with him, uh, Michael wanted me to go on the road with him for the last tour. Sure. And I, I couldn't, you know, because I, I was busy and whatever. And I said, my cousin Bud Rizzo, he's a great guitar player, another Philadelphian, I said, you know, he can go with you. And Michael asked me, he says, look, could you teach me guitar? Could you give me some lessons? So, you know, I sat him down, and I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, he just picked stuff up like unbelievable. So I wow. told my cousin Bud, who went on the road, I said, Bud, man, he wants, you know, got to teach him so you know bud comes back from the tour and i said how's it going he goes man he's like amazing but he's so they have him so distracted he has no time to himself there's interviews every five minutes and he's getting you know it's frustrating you know and i thought if he had been left alone i mean my, the ultimate vision i have of michael jackson if i i could travel back in time i would go back and you know just say let's go to an island somewhere and just like let him you know just grow and you know go into this other you know this other side of him, you know, because he really was, when we would do, like, on the Destiny record, he, you know, he comes up and just starts singing all the guitar parts and all the harmonies and the rhythms of everything. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't know the theory of anything, and he can't write music, which doesn't make any difference to, which is the biggest overrated thing. They should just cancel it from all schools mm-hmm. and teach by ear. But he just had, like, this amazing ability that I would, you know, would like to, I remember him by that, and you know, maybe in the next dimension or wherever, wherever we go, he uh, he's developing that because he really, really had it, you know, yeah. naturally. Yeah. Incredible. Thanks for sharing that. No doubt. Yeah. 
Hey, listen, we have uh, one of our correspondents in the Inside Music Cast is uh, Max Zape, and he's a musician out of uh, uh, San Diego, Southern California. And he had a question, and he wrote in, he said, uh, you know, your 1986 album, Without Walls, uh-huh. is one of uh, his favorite albums. And uh, he's apparently he got it, and it was cost him a little bucks, a few bucks, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm really sorry about that. I tried to get, I, they remastered it. In Japan, like uh, says that, you know, that's where we all go. You know, all the old elephants go to uh, to make money. <laughs> so the flavor of the week in America. <laughs> and I uh, went online uh, a while back in, at eBay, and uh, there was a guy wanted two hundred dollars for the. You know, they only have a limited edition of them. And, really? I, and I said, I said, I'm Michael Cimbello, You know, and you know, <laughs> I, I need. You know, I would like to get a copy of that, and uh, I'll send you all my old records and and, and anything I did in Japan and and. You know, whatever you want. You know, my demos. You know, you know, picture assigned. And the guy emails me back. I don't give a hell who you are. Uh, I want two hundred dollars <laughs> for you, Michael Sembello, Three hundred dollars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was really like short and curt. I said, exactly. "Oh my gosh, this is like what is it with you know the law of scarcity?" You know, <laughs> it's like you know when something becomes scarce, like a car, all of a sudden it's worth more money. You know? well, are you not? Are you not able to get back to the master for for that album? Um, yeah, what's happened with, you know, all of us, you know, are just getting, you know, thank God that the record companies are sort of going away and the, the, the internet is going to be the new uh, empire. But, you know, they, you know, I said, hey, you know, I went to Warner Brothers and also A&M. I want to release these things and they never get back to you. So what I did is I put all my songs up for the last eight years for free from right. all those albums on my old website. Uh-huh. I just took them down. And now, you know, I'm, I'm reprinting a lot of the stuff and I'm, you know, they, they won't even respond because, you know, unless you are on the level of Michael Jackson, yeah. you know, you're yeah. under the radar right now because they're just all trying to figure out how they're going to unpack yeah. all the money that they stole from us and get on a plane and go to another country. You know? <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> well, well, anyway, Max's question was uh, regarding the track, Wonder Where You Are. He was wondering if that was written with Tata Vega in mind because her, 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 her vocals, you know, pretty much are amazing. That's amazing. Right? That's a great question. That's why I love musicians. Um, yeah, Tata... Uh, is one of those uh, Stevie Wonder uh, had her, you know, for a while in the band, and mm-hmm. he, he called her like, you know, the female Stevie Wonder because she can morph into like anything. No, and I wrote it. I had written this song, "Wonder Where You Are," and, I, and uh, once again, I, as a songwriter and also a vocalist, you know, I was always challenging myself. And sometimes you, you get yourself into a quandary and paint yourself in a corner. And even though I have a, like a really, you know, a, a big range. Um, I, you know, there was just this thing where, you know, I said, I can't make it any lower or any high if it's too high. So I said, you know, there's only one person that hit these notes at this point, you know. Because I was like, you know, screaming and I was hoarse. I said, it's got to be Tata. And she just, it, it goes into it like so fluidly. It's just yeah. one of those magical moments when she just hits those notes. It's like, wow. What a range. The woman can pipe and she can blow it, man. Oh, my God. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And Max, I also had one more question he, about the song Funkabilly Swing. Oh, Funkabilly Swing. Yeah, okay. he, he wanted to know what was the impetus behind that tune. And, and he asks, uh, was it for a movie? And he said he felt the retro 40s big band vibe about it, but uh, not to mention Bobby Caldwell's vocals that um, that predate uh, the Brian Setzer's big band by a few years. And and, uh, and, yeah. and and was Stevie Wonder's cameo planned? Yeah, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, I've been, you know, to get Steve, you know, to, you know, to do anything to leave the studio and you know away from the piano is it, it, a it's a you know you can get to the Pope easier you know <laughs> you know and, and I said Steve you're gonna you know you have to like you know you were supposed to be on my first record I want you to you know you know can you do this just come play harmonica or whatever and, and whatever just jump you know let's have 
fun time. So I finally got him to come, and uh, he goes, well, what's the song about? I said, well, it's called Funkabilly Swing, and it's basically the end of the world. You know, you know the bombs. It's like kind of like the, you know, a retro kind of thing. You're back in your bomb shelter, and this guy, all he cares about, he's trying to get this, you know, girl to make love to him because it's the end of the world, right? And, <laughs> and so, you know, he says, "Come on, you know, it's all going to be over with. Let's go to the bomb shelter." You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Mama don't like that funk and Billy swing. You know, you know, you know the, the, the bombs are coming. You know, you know, it's like a high school kind of, you know. What do you have to lose, thing? You know, is it what do you have to lose? You know. <laughs> so, um, and then Steve, you know, is we, I said he goes, well, "What do you want to do?" I said, "Try to sound like." Uh, uh, Stevie Elvis. I said, oh, <laughs> and so he just he goes crazy when you he, he, goofing around. So he just started going into stuff, and just it was one of those another magic moment, you know. And uh, <laughs> it's incredible. If any Calutas playing drums on it, and it was just it, you know, it's just those things that just come together, you know. And you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants. Exactly. You know, um, in '92 you recorded Caravan of Dreams, and yeah. uh, that sort of paved a new way of experimentation for you because you brought in different types of sounds, man. And you, and obviously this uh, this um, this project was hit uh, it hit Japan, the South Asian market, and to pretty much you know to big acclaims. But it was a different type of project. Explain that for us, could you please? Yeah, that's when I was getting into experimenting with different languages. Uh-huh. I actually put that record out. I'm trying to right. I'm going to be going to Indonesia to work with. An art, the artist that brought me down there, this artist, Atis, uh-huh. and, uh, who, and also an artist, Wilkins, from Puerto Rico, um, who I'm going to, to uh, Cuba, do Cuba, and to record, uh, do, do a DVD live thing with him. And these two artists were kind of into the world beat thing at the time, which I was. And um, it was, you know, I, I actually sang three of the songs in, in Indonesian. And I went there, and I just got so influenced by the, the Ketchak, monkey chanters and everything so i sampled a lot of stuff and put you know some gamelan and 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 the ketchup and tablas and things on there and it was just me wanting to do something i've always wanted to do not make records for record companies that's probably the first record i really started to go you know i want to do what i want to do now and um because we've been so scared like you were talking about steve you know wanting to quit the business and you know we all were just going like when do we get to make the record we want to make you know and so even though the records came out, you know, good, whatever, there's still that little thing in the back of your mind. I mean, I'm a perfectionist, and I'm never going to be happy with anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I think once you get happy, you get, like, comfortable, yeah. and you, you stop growing. So I said, what can I do, you know? You know, what would, how can I really, you know, reach people? Not, you know, I've had the awards, I've had the Grammys, I've had, you know, mm-hmm. gold, platinum records. You know, what is the whole point of this, you know? Because, you know, I was, you know, conflicted. I went to Brazil in Daniel Jobim, took me out to the rainforest, Fazendeiro, where mm-hmm. his, his uh, grandfather wrote all those great songs. Sure. And he handed me a guitar. He says, I'll be back in a couple weeks, you know, and, you know, there's the, the farmers will bring you food, and, you know, and I, I got so inspired. He goes, I go, where's the tape recorder? I, I need logic, you know. He goes, <laughs> he handed me his grandfather's guitar. He goes, he goes just, you know, he, just play, you know. And he goes, remember you used to play? And I go, but how am I going to remember this stuff? He goes, he says, just repeat it. Remember you used to practice? Yeah, right. Because <laughs> I became like a sequencer monkey, you know. I'll just copy these two bars and uh, right, here right, right, and right, yeah, paste yeah. this over here. <laughs> and it was an amazing experience because I was there, you know, by myself in the middle of nowhere. That was two and I weeks? Played, I started playing again, you know. So, Jeez. you know, that's basically, you know, what I was saying, Steve, everybody, you know, 
needs needed to get back to that point, and that's where uh, the Caravan of Dreams came in. I said, you know, I'm just going to go for it a little bit, and I was still tentative. You know, if I would have pulled all the stops out, which I'm doing now, yeah, um, I'm doing a, a, a record now uh, based on the Coral Castle mystery. The guy that knew the secret to the pyramid and built this this incredible thing for uh, he's a Russian Ed Lee Skalman, and he built this Coral Castle in Florida. For Agnes, and there's a book called Waiting for Agnes. Oh, okay. You know, she never, she never came. I'll send you guys the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the demo of what I'm doing. But sure, I want to, sure. you know, write a whole thing about this guy who he moved, you know, stones and tons and tons of stones. You know, huh. it's like one of those unrequited love stories. Definitely, that, that's a really cool story. And you know, we happen to have this song here. So Eddie, let's pause for just a moment and take a listen to a sample of Waiting for Agnes. Someday she will appear. There's a hole in his heart from blood, sweat, and tears. He's waited for Agnes all of these years. All of these years. He knew the secrets of astrology. The pyramids and their technology Defying all the laws of gravity But she never came Magnets, water, electricity How he did it's still a mystery Making fantasy reality She still never came Waiting for Agnes All of these years Hoping that someday there's a hole in his heart From blood, sweat, and tears He's waiting for Agnes All of these years All of these years His heart had never ever turned to stone Despite the fact that he was all alone The only love that he had ever known Well, she never came When darkness fell and he was all alone Like magic he would lift and float the stone How he did it we will never know He took it to his grave Waiting for Agnes All of these years Filled with the sadness Hoping she'll appear and the spirit still roams in his castle of tears. He's still waiting for Agnes all of these years. All of these years. All of these years. All of these That was a sample of Waiting for Agnes from our guest today, Michael Cimbello. Being that your perspective is, is, is rather, how should I say, global, and you've, you know, you've been to Brazil, and you're, you've contacted Daniel, and I mean, even you, you, were, in, you were playing, uh, you know, Antonio Carlos Jobim's guitar, you know? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, it, you know? it's so funny, and uh, I've worked with, like, 
Sergio Mendez, you know, you know, Ayerto and uh, Gilberto Gil. I've worked with all, all these artists yeah. before I, you know, you know, I really knew what I was doing. It's just like, you know, they said, you know, you have, you're like a Brazilero Coração, you know, you have a yeah. Brazilian heart. And, and they go, why have you never been to Brazil, you know? And they kept, everybody kept inviting me, you know? And I go, yeah, I definitely want to get down there, you know? And I reflected back, I'm going, I'm just playing this stuff. You know, it was just, it just was so natural to me, you know? And uh, it was an incredible experience to actually go there, and it was like coming home, you know? Yeah, right. I definitely felt some, you know, this connection, you know, not only musically, mm-hmm. but the people there. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was checking out some of the musicians uh, on your past projects, there are a couple of names that always seem to appear. And one, as you mentioned earlier, was Vinnie Caliuto on drums. Yeah, another, yeah. An- another guy I see quite often is uh, Steve Picaro on synth programming. And you've worked, you know, you've obviously worked with the best of the best in the business. Mm-hmm. But but these two guys have, have sort of been mainstays on some of your projects. Tell me a little bit about your uh, musical relationship with these guys. Well, uh, Vinnie is like, you know, it's we are, you know, we're from. It's like this Pennsylvania connection, and you know, I mean, he's probably the great, one of the greatest living, greatest drummers of all time. I mean, it's just, he's and amazing. we were just coming up, you know, you know, we met, you know, doing sessions and things, and uh, it's just, you know, you have sort of this, like, it's like a group soul um, of people that you connect to, and you recognize that, and there's just something that happens when you play with them. It's like with with Steve, it was just this thing that connects. And if you recognize it and you develop it, it's just you just you can just read uh, telepathically when you play. There's something that you know that happens, and mm-hmm. uh, like the Beatles had it, and it, it it transcends you know everything that you could ever think that you knew about music. You know, I mean, if you listen to the Beatles records and you, and they, you tear them apart with all these new releases that are coming out. You know, you hear like Ringo's like rushing to fill here, and you know, <laughs> this is how it's never. When you put it all together, it's like holy. This is amazing. Mm, yeah. Just, yeah. Wow. Those guys They're are incredible. And, and Steve, you know, a great musician too. And you know, uh, you know, it's just inc- incredible to work with these people. And you didn't know at the time when you're in it. You just don't know. You just feel this great feeling. You know. Yeah, you right. know? And then later on, it's like I had to. I learned that everybody was famous. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> 10, yeah. twenty years afterwards. <laughs> oh yeah. And then people go, you know, Vinnie Caliuta. I go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's like, you know, it's great to see, you know, it's kind of like I woke up out of a a coma or something, you know. (laughs) It's really funny, you know. It's like, well, yeah, I know Vinnie Kelly, yeah. Sure. Isn't it? They're both amazing talents. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Hey, um, on your new Bossanova Hotel release that just came out recently, yeah, it was a Japanese release. But tell me the, it, it's also the title of your original, you know, yeah, that's solo kind of project. Like a, an interesting thing. My studio was called Bossanova Hotel. Okay, um, and uh, and and it was Sergio's bass player, I think Sebastian Neto, that said mm-hmm. I was trying to come up with a name for my studio, and I. I went to Sergio's one day for rehearsal, and uh, you know I was a vegetarian, don't didn't drink, do any any drugs, and I had had some cachaça the night before. Sergio sort of tricked me and I had just <laughs> lemonade, you know, <laughs> and it had caipirinho, and and I had like a, like a hangover, you know, and I had never had one before, and, and I go, man, I feel really sick, and he goes. Oh, you have the Boston Over Revenge. I said, I said, that's cool. I said, I'm naming my studio Boston Over Revenge. And then all of a sudden the word hotel popped in my head. And that kind of, you know, stamped it in my brain. And then, you know, I thought to myself, years later, you know, the name just keeps popping up. And uh, the, the company Music Sales hired me to do, to Brazilianize, you know, a bunch of their catalogs. Like yeah. a lot of famous songs like Feeling All Right and whatever. And... I thought, 
wow, what do, why don't we just call the Bossa Nova Hotel? And I called my friend um, Bruce Geish and Janie Kluwer up, and I said, let's just, you know, do kind of a, they want a Sergio kind of thing, you know, and they're going to put it in movies. And I never thought it would be a record. And then Bruce, you know, contacted Japan, and the Japanese loved it. So it was really just something I was going to do for movies and things, and it mm-hmm. became an entity. Yeah, yeah. Well, on this project, uh, this this new version of Boston of Hotel, uh, you re- like you just said, you reconnected with Bruce Geish and, and Janie Kluwer. Yeah, uh, you go back a long way with these two. Are oh, you, yeah, we go way back. Yeah. And the thing was, it just you know, I said let's do you know, uh, just a group. It's it's kind of like uh, revisiting the Boston of Hotel and now making it into a group. It just it just sort of happened. It's almost like it was predestined, you know. It's right. weird. And you know, it's great working with them. They're really talented. Yeah, and then uh, this is another question from uh, Max Zape. He, he said uh, he wants you to tell us about the reharmonization of of Maniac that Randy Waldman did. You do a, a like a new version of of uh, Maniac on this album, correct? Yeah, the Bossa Nova. Right. That, that makes it. I I, oh, I said once, you know, I'm going to do this in every style I possibly can. Even, <laughs> even polkas, you know, Bosnian polkas. You know, <laughs> That's great. And I'm actually I'm writing an arrangement for for Cuba. I'm going to do a, 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 a kind of a serious uh, Afro-Cuban salsero uh-huh. crazy, you know, mix all kinds of stuff <laughs> together. And um, there's going to be like some of the best musicians doing this live um, DVD concert yeah. thing. So that'll, you know, then I just got to go through country and, you know, and then I'll have pretty much all the bases covered. But uh, it just was, it's just a fun thing to take something and, and morph it into something else. So the, on the Boston of a Hotel record, I did it kind of as a slow uh, uh Nova. so mm-hmm. it's just you know it's kind of like uh uh the way God intended it to be you yeah. know and then there's the jazz version that I did to, as well so it's it's great to you know cuz people you know tell me over the years they go no one's ever used E flat uh minor 7 major 7 you know flat 5 plus 5 all these chords you using you know that we and Denny McCuskey you know we're you know we're mm-hmm. we're frustrated you know jazz musicians you know <laughs> we're going how do we fit all this stuff into a song and we never thought it would be a hit. I mean, right. anybody that says, you know, people tell you, you know, how did you write that song? It's a great song. Well, you know, the lightning bolt of inspiration hit me, and, and people never give away their secrets. I hate that. There's no mystery <laughs> music. It's like, that was, a, that was a mistake, and if it wasn't for the marketing promotion team of the movie, it probably would have never been heard, because yeah. it's just really, you know, yeah. just one of those off-the-wall off the kind of things. <laughs> right, right. You know, I'd love to take the credit for it, but I'm just, you know, lucky that it happened, you know. Right, yeah. right. You know, one of the, you, you mentioned the jazz version of uh, of Maniac. I, I especially appreciate that version. I'm a sort of, key, I'm a keyboardist, and so your progressions are just really, I mean, just really silky and thick and a deep groove, you know, and and uh, especially when you get to the end, I believe you also include that Masquenada, you know, Masquenada. Yeah, exactly, Masquenada. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, that is just like so smooth. I mean, you had to go and put the cherry on top, man. I was grooving already, and you just had to slap me again. You know? <laughs> it was well, you nice. know what's amazing about stuff? It's like, I'm, I'm so lucky to be around, you know, the inspiration of a lot of great musicians like yeah. Randy Wallman, who, you know, who, who, you know, he put this on his, on his record. I had the idea to do it. I had this whole thing done with all kinds of crazy chord changes, and Randy says, hey, man, do you mind if I put that on my, on my record? I, and I got an idea. He was doing, like, the Lion King or something he was conducting and he, and he <laughs> stayed up all night and he took you know what I had written and, and then he says I just put a few more chord changes in there over here and I said he says and I got five minutes at the end of the thing with the whole orchestra and they played it and it was like one of those surprises that you go like holy oh God, <laughs> what, what did he do you know and it, it's just where you just it's all for the love of music right. you know it wasn't about like you know 
you know, money or anything. And when things happen like that, when musicians get together and they bond, it's just the most incredible thing. Hey, you know, we happen to have the jazz version of Maniac queued up, so let's uh, take another break and take a listen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jazz arrangement of the song Maniac from today's guest, Michael Cimbello. Hey Michael, I understand you're in the planning stages for a new tour, and I was wondering uh, where that tour is going to be taking you. Yes, um, I'm going to actually, um, I'm going to, to Italy to do uh, um, some TV shows. Right now, thank God, the, the 80s are back, you know, and oh, yeah. they're doing all these, you know, uh, what was the uh, show that they landed over there? Uh, uh, Los Mejor Años, you know, <laughs> the 80s, you know, and then there's all kinds of uh, shows like that. And um, so, um, you know, it was, the last one I did was in Spain with uh, Paul Young was on the show. And uh-huh. uh, so, you know, we all sort of, you know, are, you know, you know, putting each other, propping each other up and doing it. It's, and it's yeah. fun, you know, because I wouldn't have done this like five years, ten years out from the song, because it, it, pretty much you don't really, after you hear your song, 200,000 times mixing it, <laughs> recording it. You really, you know, it's like Clockwork Orange, you know. Sure, so, I don't know if you saw that movie where they, they, they peel his yeah, eye back and right. eyes back and they put him in a chair and they play right. all his favorite classical music and they shock him so that if he ever hears that, he, you know, he, he gets sick. So. <laughs> <laughs> so anybody that knows that movie knows what I'm talking about. You just really don't want to hear it anymore, you know. Yeah. So time passes and then you go back and you, you listen to your records and you go, wow, that was pretty good. But there's that flat note I did 
I'm never going <laughs> to haunt me for the rest of my life. I know. My goodness. Well, anything else planned for the right remainder of the year that uh, you can tell us about? Any pro- special projects you're working on or uh, any, anything else outside of the tour? Well, I'm doing, you mentioned education. I'm, I'm putting together uh, for years. It's, it's, I'm trying to teach music to people remove all the mysteries, you know, the mysteries that everybody has, you know. Um, I have this thing I've been working on for years called Vocal Stylistics. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is I've taken, taken a lot of um, great R&B gospel pop licks, and I've done them chromatically. If you've ever been to a, a vocal coach, it's always... I've taken, like, really, you know... Cool Stevie Wonder licks, whatever, all that crazy stuff, and mm-hmm. I did them chromatically. And um, I tested it out over the last ten years. And I'm going out to LA, and and uh, my my uh, I'm a Seth Riggs alumni, and I'm going to try to connect to all these you know uh, vocal teachers and whatever, and say, look, this is a, a revolutionary way to learn, and, and, you know, because you know Seth teaches, you know you know, how to sing, you know, how to develop the muscles, but nobody's mm-hmm. telling anybody what to sing. You know, the most difficult and soulful parts of songs are, the, are in the inflections, you know, the melismas, and, and no one has, that I've seen, has a course out like that. So, you know, I, I just want to, you know, for the younger generation, leave something behind that, you know, that will, you know, educate them. Absolutely. You know, to have that direct yeah. thing. Right. And now with the teaching online and everything, it's just incredible. These kids are doing my Maniac solo on YouTube. Yeah. You know, it's it's incredible that I, you know, I just feel so honored to, you know, to be a part of their life. So I want to get into the education and just say, look, you know, yeah. here's how you really do it. You know, exactly. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, you've definitely had a just a, a sort of rich career too, and it's 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 only you know it's only just begun. You know, so exactly. We, I feel like it's really, um, uh, uh, you know, it's starting again. I have that same energy. Yeah. You know, it's just an amazing feeling. It's so funny. Um, I reconnected with with Al Di Miola uh, in the last couple of years. He's living in yeah. Florida too. It's where all the Italian guys go to retire and play bocce. <laughs> you know? And you know, Al's out there. He does, does the Return of Forever thing. He does his Al Di right. Miola thing. Sure. And it's he's saying, man, it's just this resurgence of people that yeah. want. I mean, Europe has always been into like you know great music, but right. he says, you know, Mike and Al's like a, he's like a like a matrix, you know, machine. He he, he has this incredible memory, and, and of course, I I have early Alzheimer's. He goes, Mike, remember we were both eighteen, nineteen year old, years old, you know, these young guitar players, you know, out in L.A. and we we met and we and I met him the first time. We, Stevie was in the you know back then. Remember, we used to jam, you know. <laughs> you know, nobody even knows what that word is anymore. And you know, it was me and Chick and, and Al, and you yeah. know, and. You know, we hung out for, you know, That's cool. days. And then, you know, I hadn't seen him for, like, all these, these years. And then he shows up. I'm playing this little uh, club to kind of get my chops in shape in, in Miami, the Van Dyke. And he, he shows up, you know, after all these years. And it's just, it's just wow. amazing. Cool. Uh, the, the, the people that I've been, you know, mm-hmm. I've been able to, to know and just, to, you know, be inspired by. And, sure. it, you know, he's really was a great inspiration to me as well. Very good. Hey, well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. We, we've learned a lot, and we Absolutely. appreciate your time, and uh, this has been a great interview. We appreciate it. Yeah, oh, it's uh, my pleasure, guys. This has been, you know, anytime you want me on, um, Rick, Eddie, just, you know, call sure. me up, and uh, I have more. Uh, I'm going to do a book called Road Stories, you know, okay. like the time I, oh, cool. I took Stevie Wonder driving. 
<laughs> Save the <laughs> story because we'll, we'll have you on. Michael Jackson. Was, I went. I have this thing with getting in cars with people that don't know how to drive. You know, <laughs> Michael Jackson got a Rolls Royce. And you know, those... Greg Filling. I think Greg Fillinghaze was in the car. Oh my and god! He, you know, he comes out of the gate. You know, he's going and he goes around the corner. Comes back and he drives through his gate and scratches the whole side of his car on the gate. <laughs> <laughs> so I got those kind of stories, and I'm, I'm going to do like a chicken soup for the musicians or something. That's oh, cool. That's right. Well, keep us posted, man, because we'd like to have you yeah, on. We'll, and we'll catch up again. Get some excerpts on that. In the meantime, if you're interested, if our guests uh, or if our listeners are interested, uh, go ahead and go to michaelsembello.com, and uh, you're going to see a you're going to hear some good music. Uh, it's a wonderful site. Uh, nice programming. It's very presentable, and there's a big discography and profile in there, and so a lot of information there at uh, michaelsembello.com. So that's great. Join my mailing list, and I'll keep everybody abreast. And also, you know what's happening with the Jackson thing as well. And I put that up for, there for the musicians. Yep. And, you know, and also as a tribute to him, you know, to, listen to the actual demo. That's nice. What he learned it from, mm-hmm. and then, you know, listen to the other performers. Because I think people just need to, we just need to remove the mystery from everything. You yeah, know? you're right. You know. Hey, thanks again, Michael. Oh, thank you, guys. It was great. All right, All right thanks. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Michael Cimbello for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Be sure to join us again on Monday, August 10th, as Inside Music Cast welcomes saxophonist Brandon Fields. For more information about Inside Music Cast, check out our website at InsideMusicCast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and MySpace. We'd love to hear from you, and we always take our listeners' input and suggestions into consideration. So drop us an email anytime at input at InsideMusicCast.com. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast.